Welcome to the Joe Momo Presents Calgary Leader Series. I'm super excited to have my next guest this uh, this week, uh, Sandor. He's has a diverse background in marketing um, and also sales. Um, and as you guys know, I do lots of work for consultants and um, people in the financial industry or just personal brands as well. So really, it's going to be a real pleasure to have my next guest on. Um, Sandor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Thanks so much for reaching out. I I was bragging to my daughter that I'm going to be on a podcast. It's going to be published on Spotify, and she she didn't believe me. And uh, anyways, I'm going to force her to listen to this whole thing. So I feel like a <laughs> feel like a pseudo superstar in my household here. So yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, and I'm super excited. Um, perhaps maybe just give us a little bit of context on your background uh, before we kind of jump into. Um, all the sales and marketing talk for, for our audience and listeners. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, hopefully the, it'll provide some context for, for people in terms of where, where I'm coming from now, now just off the bat, I know you, uh, a lot of your podcasts are with Calgarians. I don't know if they're exclusive, but um, born and raised Calgarian um, uh, have uh, went to U of C uh, did a, did a bachelor of commerce there. You don't need one to get into sales and marketing, but that's what you're told. Uh, played basketball at the UFC as well, so got to know a lot, a lot of people. And and uh, while I was in university, I started getting my first taste of like real sales and marketing and business experience. I actually ran a, a student painting business with a company called Student Works Painting, and so you you have to learn, you know, very early that you can't be successful without learning how to sell right? And you're selling a, a service and such. So that got me going. And it was a great introduction to really having to hustle uh, in order to make money and, you know, take risks and there being no guarantees, right? Um, but uh, after I graduated, I got my start uh, at a Calgary-based company called Critical Mass in 1997, I think. So, you know, that was back in the day where the internet was just, you know, coming to the fore. Uh, I think you're a lot younger than me. So, you probably don't know about like 14.4 and 56k modems. Like I, I was, I was the bomb with that. I paid over three thousand dollars for my first computer, and you know your watch has ten times more power in it now, or probably more than that. And but uh, you know, coming, you know, that time the internet as it was being you know developed, um, there was all kinds of you had the dot com millionaires that were emerging and. Fast Company had their magazines talking about this billionaire, this millionaire. And it got me interested in the space. And actually a high school coach, basketball coach, uh, started a, started Critical Mass. And uh, it's become one of the most successful uh, digital agencies on the planet, actually. It's, it's pretty amazing uh, what's happened there. And so I started working on accounts with Mercedes-Benz, um, eventually Procter & Gamble. But a really neat thing that happened was I... I uh, was part of a, a group that went to Stockholm to open up an office there, and we were working on uh, Saab's global account. And uh, so I started working on learning about direct marketing, uh, digital marketing, running email campaigns. This was really back in the early days where, like Mailchimp, no one knew if you know that just didn't exist. That's a really popular tool. Um, but I spent about four years there, and, and then ended up uh, moving on. Um, did a little consulting uh, on my own, sales and marketing consulting. Had a short stint on WestJet's e-business team, uh, which gave me a tremendous appreciation for 
how hard it is to get stuff done in large organizations um, and why I was always frustrated in an agency, why clients can get stuff done faster. Uh, but you learn why when you're dealing with bureaucracy and, and that whole bit. Um, but uh, uh, had a had a stint as well with a management consulting company in Calgary and got laid off in uh, 2008, right in the run up to the financial crisis. And so that was a, a pretty, pretty tough time. I mean, here in Calgary, there was hiring freezes everywhere. And, and uh, my son had been born the year before uh, I was our second child. Uh, it's pretty stressful. I had to hustle, uh, even got a gig with critical mass, uh, a couple just doing some projects. Um, and then in uh, July of 20 or 2009, I landed three different prod, uh, clients in a span of about 10 days. So one of them was with um, Integrated Wealth Management, and that'll be a big part of the story here. Um, I met the founder, Andrew Ruland, who had just left Asante and went fully independent to start working with clients uh, directly and, and not sort of being tied to uh, you know, big banks, um, large financial institutions, and everything that goes on within the financial industry. Uh, when you have a large bureaucracy uh, in behind and, and certain corporate objectives. Um, also, um, the, I formed a, a relationship with a, a digital agency called Pump Interactive, and I was actually outsourced to do their business development and help with the marketing. So, um, you know, throughout my career, it's been marketing, consulting a lot around brand, uh, but getting into marketing strategy, planning, but also developed capabilities um, as an outsourced business development consultant. And from that point forward, almost all my clients, I'd say, yeah, all of them, uh, just about were small businesses, the odd mid-sized um, uh, company, uh, for example, uh, Collins Barrow, uh, they're now RSM, but kind of a mid-market mid accounting firm. So uh, the, the business development is, is a key part of, I think, Learning to do that and be good at that has made me a much better marketer. Um, but basically, from that point forward, I, I just had a lot of projects and, and Pump Interactive was a steady client. Um, and then I also started really delving a lot into the tech ecosystem here in Calgary and started doing a lot of work around um, customer needs analysis, for example, which I know we'll talk about a lot. Um, and the tech uh, industry is notorious for building something cool and product first, and then hoping that someone will want to buy it or believing someone will, and then realizing our product is totally off the mark. Um, but uh, I did a lot of work in, in around there. And then um, I guess it was, um, started, uh, actually it was outsourced to do business development with a company called Rentalworks and uh, basically renovation software or software within the renovation remodeling space. And I was actually the VP of growth there. Um, and so I, I uh, helped them build a small uh, sales, uh, sales and marketing team. And we took a product that had sort of just flatlined and found a way to improve the sales and marketing and built sales systems and automation around marketing and, you know, help drive incremental revenue uh, with that particular product at Rentalworks. And, um, you know, great CEO there. And, and I worked with them a couple of years in contracted role. And, uh, uh, but we decided, I decided it was time for a next step and actually uh, was connected to a company called Cement. And I know that you've previously interviewed the 
CEO there, uh, Hanif, uh, on one of your podcasts. You know, he's a, a really interesting guy. Um, but I ended up uh, working with them for a period of time in a customer success oriented role. So it was a little bit different, but um, a big part of certainly in software uh, to be successful around the sales and marketing side is being able to join all the sort of lead generation and sales and convert it and transition it to people that um, help make a client successful and become a loyal client. Um, and so I, I was in that kind of role. Um, but then um, I guess it was September 2018, uh, a, a contract hadn't come through. And uh, unfortunately, I was part of a, a group of people that um, had positions terminated. And, um, you know, it was, uh, they had a tough decision to make there. Um, I still did some contract work with them, but the, the full-time role sort of went away. And uh, it was actually an interesting day, September 11, 2018. Um, so I, I, you know, I basically was told the position's gone. And then I was actually at a neurologist's. And uh, I was walking away. I had lesions on my brain, apparently. And um, it was like they didn't know exactly what it was. They thought it could be cancer. Uh, it, uh, they thought probably more MS. I'd had a spell in, in July of that year where like the right side of my body went numb. And uh, it's pretty kind of scary stuff. Um, but um, eventually it was diagnosed as MS. So, you know, and it's, it's you know, hasn't it's just kind of remitted which has been great, but, you know, in all these kind of situations where you have some adversity or something happens, it's um, everything happens for a reason. And uh, two days after, uh, so it would have been, I guess, September 13th ish, uh, I uh, connected with Andrew because uh, he was the, you know, integrated wealth management. We'd become friends and, and his firm was taking care of my family's finances. And uh, he said, I think you should join the firm. Uh, there's a good opportunity here. And uh, he planted that seed. And I'd always been interested in the financial services space. I had exposure through consulting gigs, but had actually considered working with, I think it was London Life after university and, and even Edward Jones knocked on, uh, you know, sort of headhunted me, but I never pulled the trigger. Um, but we built out a plan and said, you know, I, I think this would be really interesting. Um, it's a recurring revenue uh, type business uh, with with the business model with integrated wealth management. And having gone through a, a health scare, I was thinking about, can I transition out of this dollars for hour type type model, um, which has you know been great for my myself and family with my career and and such, but um, it becomes a grind. and and you know it yourself, Joe, right? Because you are um, I, you might do some fixed price contracts and whatnot, um, but you're doing a lot of hourly paid work. And I was trying to get off that treadmill. And so Andrew and I built a plan to give it a go. You know, could we make it work? And it was interesting because all this sales and marketing work uh, that I'd done and experiences that I'd had and learning how to build client relationships, um, you know, no understanding tools, automation, all these things that are actually quite foreign within the financial services space. Andrew and I kind of said, here's how we complement each other. I'm gonna help you build a client base and I'll drive all the planning with clients that we bring on. He built an excellent brand, but he was running as a single shingle advisor. Um, and I would do a lot of the prospecting, all the marketing. And then as new clients came on, um, I was going to take on the role 
of working with that client. And I'm now working on a, for a while now, I've been working on a certification as a CFP, but Andrew and I work together with all, all our clients um, to make sure they're taken care of. And um, I continue to, to do a lot around the sales and marketing. And so, so here I am, right? I've, I transitioned now, I'm full-time in this business. Uh, it wasn't easy, um, you know, like you're starting from scratch, you're building a business, right? Um, but uh, Andrew has just created a great opportunity for me to get into this business and it's quite unique um, coming in with an independent firm, uh, the amount of clients who think that I now work with, we brought over like 40 client families in, in about two years. I actually we started working together almost just under two years ago. Um, and uh, so I was able to do that and love this business. And um, I'm glad I did it. It's been a, un, it wasn't an easy transition, but um, yeah, I'm glad. And, uh, you know, here we are. And then I get an email from some guy named Joe saying, hey, I'm interested to have you on a podcast. And like, you know, you've had like a guy like Hanif, they've raised $60 billion or billion, sorry, million uh, dollars, you know, like, I mean, there's different types, but, um, you know, I think I'm, you know, if anything uh, to, to listeners, I'm, I'm, you know, just a guy who's out there doing, I'll call it not these extravagant things, but building a career, raising a family, um, you know, running a business, being a Calgarian, you know, with that entrepreneurial attitude and, and such. And, um, and I hope that, you know, through our discussion here today, that if I can shed some light on sales and marketing, whether the person's in the financial business uh, or not, I think a lot of things we'll talk about are applicable to anyone, any kind of business. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, so that's maybe a bit more long-winded than, than I actually thought I might share. But, um, you know, I hope that you can see there's all these different kind of contexts that are around the kinds of experiences. And, and what you have to do as a professional um, in sales and marketing is go, how do I take all this and apply it to a given business? Because not everything translates. Um, and you're always trying to figure it out and, and you're trying to test and determine, you know, will this work? So, um, so yeah, anyways, there you go. <laughs> no, absolutely. I no, appreciate that, Sandor. Yeah. Your career path has been quite robust. And like you mentioned, rising through adversity and um, rising like a Phoenix, if you will, into a much, uh, exciting, um, role right now uh, that you're, you're currently doing, um, one thing that you did mention, though, that really piqued my interest is kind of that tech product approach where you build something really awesome, you think, and then you launch to the market and then it's crickets. Um, mm -hmm. But I find that fascinating because uh, for me, uh, as you know, I work with a bunch of clients and we do marketing strategies all the time and really kind of trying to build that blueprint to, to for a more effective uh, marketing strategy. So um, one thing I like to always say is that uh, you could build the best product in the world, but if nobody knows about it, then um, you're kind of hand to, hand to pockets. So, totally uh, agreed. so for a strategy for me, what I like to do uh, when I'm working with clients is to really build out key personas. Who are you talking to? Like who try and get into the mind and shoes of your target audience and really try to empathize, empathize with them. Um, that empathy approach is something I really resonate with because nowadays, if you just push out your message, bye, 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 and not really take into account the other person, you get quickly lost in the shuffle and all the noise of um, every other marketer or business or brand out there. So 
um, when we talked, when we had our conversations uh, off air, you mentioned having that worldview approach when you're talking to your audience, uh, really having values that they can um, resonate with. Um, as you can see, lots of brands these days have uh, are putting out their core beliefs and core values, um, and people resonate to that, and it builds authenticity as well. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about how. What sort of things are you doing at Integrated Wealth Management to kind of follow through with that strategy of uh, empathy first and being uh, in your customers or clients' shoes? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I saw a lot, especially, you know, if I go back 20 years ago, but it still happens, is that um, a lot of marketers are very demographic focused when they're talking about their target audience. And while that can matter, uh, what I learned uh, throughout my career is that um, to be more effective, you need to be strategic. And so you need to move beyond uh, we're targeting someone with 100,000 plus in income and males, and which means that they're going to like the color blue and, you know, these kinds of things to uh, getting at um, sort of behavioral traits psychographic traits, you know, getting into their mind, um, what are their values? And that allows you to move from a very tactical focus around your marketing to becoming much more strategic and client centric. And getting into the mindset uh, to me is, especially in the financial advisory uh, business, there's so many different kinds of investment options. Uh, The market is so saturated and people uh, get really confused about what to do. And um, so you you have to find a way to connect. And for someone, when they learn about you, um, to go, why why should I be interested here? What is it that's going to spark their interest to actually reach out? And so so Andrew, um, you know, we kind of talk about worldview and and background. Kind of kind of go back to our family histories, actually, because. The values that we push out into the market aren't just ones that we think the market wants to hear. It starts with what are our values because we want to work with people um, where it's not about we're exactly uh, the same, but we do share a worldview that allows us to uh, allows us to connect. Um, you know, I use the example, right, uh, Joe? I think when we were talking uh, prior to here that um, uh, you know we could have a great product. And someone could be really interested in it. But if, you know, we're sitting down at the table and they're bleeding heart liberal and we're pretty far right on the political spectrum, that's just not going to work. Right. Um, But, you know, we, Andrew and I come from scenarios where our families, uh, in my case, my family's escaped communist hungry. And uh, in Andrew's case, uh, his um, uh, parents were part of the Dutch underground to fight off Nazism. But all of a sudden communism started to, to creep into uh, you know, what was going on with the underground there and, and they just weren't interested in that. So, so we have this background of um, you know, people escaping uh, more socialist uh, or socialist environments, right? Communist environments. And so you know, that's, that's a real part of who we are and who we wanna connect with. And when you go to the IWM website, we put that out there, right? We talk about, um, you know, where we're from. Uh, we talk about some of our uh, our beliefs and our belief system. 
and uh, some of our leanings. Uh, we feel we're very open-minded people, but we also know kind of where we fit when we look at, at the world and, and certain views, right? And by actually throwing that out there, we're certainly, there's going to be people that, um, you know, they're, they're not going to connect, right? They're going to self-select and say, you know, you know, at times you guys are just conspiratorialists or whatever, because things have become so polarized. But there are people that read about that and see that. And we do a lot of radio advertising. And uh, we've been guest, uh, or Andrew has been a guest, um, you know, uh, speaker, I guess, uh, or been interviewed. And people start listening to the kinds of things we talk about, they read at our website, and then they start going, I think I can, you know, see eye to eye with this person. And, um, you know, so we put that out there, and then that starts getting them interested in us versus someone else, which is just about us. Here's our CV. Uh, this is the kind of investments you buy, blah, 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 you know, whatever that is. Um, you know, even some unique aspects about how we think comes across in certain analysts that we follow uh, or certain uh, economists that we follow. And, um, you know, we actually uh, publish, for example, we follow a guy, Martin Armstrong, and um, he's an economist, uh, really interesting background, was actually thrown, incarcerated in the U.S., for not wanting to give up his source code. He's made a couple of really um, prophetic calls on market events to the day kind of thing. And he's got a, a system, a computer system he built over time that was eerily accurate. And um, nonetheless, there's this whole story behind him of, of sort of going to, um, uh, he had to basically fight against the government to, to get his name cleared and whatnot. So we mentioned this, and this is a guy that's interviewed on BNN and other, other shows, and he consults to all kinds of governments. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got some really out there thoughts, right? But we pay attention to it because we're trying to look at different views on what, what could happen. So we plug that on the website. And there's people that contact us solely because we've thrown out that view. We're okay to publish that um, you know the fact we follow that analyst um, and then you know there's certain belief systems that he has that come across in his analysis and you know whatever and there's other people that follow him and then they reach out to us uh, that sort of thing right um, now beliefs and values can also come across in not necessarily things you explicitly say but the things you refer to so for example uh, andrew has developed uh, he follows precious metals really closely and if you look at the history of money and the role precious metals play, right? I mean, um, you know, a lot of people think it's a hedge against inflation. Uh, you can make that connection, but you know, our, our, there's a lot of correlation that's a hedge against um, government and lack of trust in government. And when people are starting to get concerned about what's going on in their country and whatnot, money, uh, you know, people flee to gold, uh, silver, that sort of thing. Um, and and so we talk about that as well. We have views on it. Uh, we follow it. We think it plays a role in people's portfolios. Um, but what you also see is that there are mainstream advisors that like laugh at people who talk about actually wanting to own physical gold, let alone an ETF or whatnot. And we don't laugh at that. You know, if you come from a society or whatnot where you know government overreach was insane, uh, currencies were debased or whatever, or you have a mistrust of government, healthy or not, um, then you know there's a role that that can play in your portfolio. 
uh, or just in your life, right? And so these are things that we, you know, put out there and, uh, you know, it, it suggests certain values in addition to the things that we explicitly communicate uh, on our website or in our marketing material or the webinars we host or whatever that is. And, um, you know, we've taken a clear position as well in terms of um, who we want to target. So um, that's another part, you know, you've talked about uh, sort of values and, and beliefs and worldview driving marketing. It also needs to tie into, um, you know, knowing who you're trying to, to target with messages and with your solution. So our investment solutions are, are not geared towards high risk uh, investments or high risk investors. Uh, we think of ourselves a little more steady and slow wins the race. We have um, portfolio solutions that uh, are designed to drive income, which very much appeals to people that are um, approaching retirement or in retirement where they're relying on their portfolios to produce an income for them, right? And um, so we, we put that out there. So we're being very deliberate about who we're trying to relate to both from uh, who we think we can sit down across the table from and have a good conversation and form the basis for an excellent long-term working relationship. Um, but we're also very explicit about who we want to target. And that means some people won't ever reach out to us and they self-select and that's okay, right? Um, and, and by taking a position, I think that um, Andrew and, and now me, by virtue of me joining his firm, um, are probably far more successful in terms of conversions, in terms of attracting the right people, in terms of the kind of, um, you know, to use a sales marketing term, pipeline we've built up of people that are considering us as, a, as an advisor. Um, and so if there's one thing I can say in particular in this business or really any services business where, you know, you're not just selling a, a product, software or something, but you actually have to have human interaction um, that finding that way to connect on a, on an authentic worldview basis to me is um, really a foundation for a successful long-term, uh, you know, business relationship. So uh, it certainly, I mean, has worked tremendously uh, for us and we feel good about, about what we put out there. So. Absolutely. And you mentioned how your ideal clients are more low risk. So I'm sure you don't have very much uh, game stock strategies, uh, for your clients <laughs> you know they ask us about it they ask us about it and you know everyone reads about it and uh you know i, I know tongue-in-cheek comments and we look at well if you look at gamestop in the last two hours it's been down uh you know 50 percent. you want to get into that roulette game uh <laughs> but so so no for for sure i mean the business is really interesting but um you know our job is to help identify a strategy that fits with that person's risk profile and help them stay the course. We tell them, have some fun money. Everyone should have a little bit of fun money if they can, you know, if they're kind of into it. Um, but we always say it should be proportionate, appropriate proportion of your portfolio. And uh, it's money that you can afford to lose all of. Um, and we want to take care of the money you cannot, you know, afford to lose. And that's, that's our goal is we're going to preserve that capital and then grow it at a moderate, realistic pace so people don't sacrifice their financial independence. Um, so anyways, love it. I mean, the whole, you know, GameStop thing has been, if you dig down into it, it's class warfare is the way I look at it. You know, you get these 25, 30-year-olds yeah. that 
that um, their parents went through the financial crash. And uh, I remember um, I was diving down into the Wall Street bets forums and reading into that and, you know, hearing like posts about people who were at the kitchen table watching their parents count quarters, right? Because um, the house was, you know, going, you know, being taken by the bank. And meanwhile, on TV, they're watching these hedge fund managers clinking champagne glasses and, and whatnot. So there's a really interesting undercurrent to that that whole thing that that I've really found uh, really found fascinating. But but to come back to your point, no no GameStop in our in our portfolios. So yeah, more fun money responsibly, if you will. But that's there you go. Marketing there you go. For you, yeah. Do you have some fun money, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I like to be responsible. But I'm, I'm maybe more of your uh, target uh, mentality. <laughs> I like to have income reoccurring and be safe with uh, my investments. But uh... <laughs> you work too hard for it. I mean, it's one of those things that I mean, we all have different risk tolerances. But I'm probably a lot like you, um, and my wife and I are are pretty conservative despite our age, um, and. You know, a lot of people, you should be, you know, heavier into growth stocks and, and, and whatever, but there's a sleep at night factor, right? And, and you got to know yourself. And uh, hey, we've thrown uh, a few flyers um, with an amount that was reasonable. Um, but, um, you know, we kind of stick to our, our philosophy, hey, you know, that fund money, just be prepared to lose it all and then <laughs> you can sleep at night. So, yeah. Exactly. Fun money responsibly. I like that. There you um, go. Yeah. So it's all about balance too. Like you, like, like to your point, you want to be able to sleep at night. So um, just having that in back of your mind that um, if this all went to zero, I'm still going to be okay at the end of the day. But yeah, one thing that you really touched on that uh, got my attention was building, building communities through your worldview. Um mm-hmm. I like to say to, to a lot of my clients that it's way better to have a handful of dedicated, true fans of your content, your business, your brand, than thousands of meh followers. Um, Agreed. And yeah, like you're, to your point, like you really want to build that through your POV. What do you believe? What values do you stand for? And yeah, sure, you're going to isolate some some people away from you, but the people that you want to, to attract will come to you and just like a magnet, they'll come inwards to you. So uh, I do really. Yeah. What if, what have you uh, found? I mean, I know you work with, um, uh, you know, I think a few wealth management firms or financial advisory firms, um, you know, I'm always looking to learn. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to get in your headspace a little bit too on what you've found has worked to, to attract people into their pipeline or ecosystem to, you know, communicate with and, and such. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, for me personally, I'm a big believer in building relationships. Um, there's just way too many brands and businesses out there to uh, just hawk your product or service. So really building relationships, building that no like and uh no like and trust factor with uh, your audience. And for me, that comes with um, more tactically comes with uh, building your email list and kind of your Rolodex of um, uh, potential customers or clients. Um, so really being value first, um, putting out lots of great content. And I remember us talking off air about 
it's not gone to the days of outsourcing your uh, blog content to overseas and having some meh 500 words uh, content on your website. It's really more about um, targeting your ideal customer with content that's relevant to them that is going to help them uh, achieve or move past some of their pain points. And for me, that comes from just really doing some market research and um, understanding uh, that psychographic um, needs of your of your target audience and really putting together content that resonates with them. Um, for me, I do lots of uh, uh, lead magnet strategies for, for my clients. So putting together maybe a guide or a list of maybe quick wins or um, something they can do to transform their themselves from their current situation to um, where they want to be, or at least a little, a little closer to where they want to be. Um, getting those quick wins, uh, I, from my experience at least, builds trust with um, clients, and they tend to um, want to know more about what you have to say uh, if you get them um, kind of those quick wins. And it would be interesting to get, getting more of those. So um, building those big magnets, um, getting their information, the contact information, and then just building however long your sales cycle is, um, let's say it's two or three months, just building out good contents. I like to follow a 80-20 rule um, with my um, uh, retargeting campaign. So 80% of it being valuable content uh, to whoever opted into kind of my ecosystem, my funnel, if you will, in marketing journey these days. Um, sure. And then 20% more uh, maybe uh, right hooks or um, pitches, if you will, um, with what you have to offer or services that you uh, could provide them. So I'm um, really building your list and then maintaining top of mind with them with valuable content is something that I always um, actually, I always get requested from, from clients and also always put in my strategies as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I agree going back uh, to the days where you wrote a, a blog post and seeded it with keywords so that Google would find you. Um, and then you'd have a URL which reflected your business and, you know, these kinds of, uh, you know, ways to try and engineer traffic. Um, you know, Google was quick, quick to catch on. But I think at any point in time, people are looking for, for quality content. And we put a tremendous amount of effort into creating uh, quality content. Um, we host a lot of webinars. And it's interesting when you talk about, you know, this the, the period of time you're trying to um, nurture, uh, nurture a prospective client. Um, it's been interesting in this business, we do target people with a larger amount of assets. Uh, I don't like to use the word high net worth um, really because I think that, uh, I don't know, personally, I think there's a little bit of snobbery to that, to that phrase. Um, and, um, you know, it's about, you know, we're targeting people that have built up assets because it is pretty tough to scale this business as an independent firm, uh, you know, unless, you know, people have 250,000, 500,000 plus in assets. It's just, it just is. And we work with um, managers that have minimum. So we don't actually, Andrew and I don't actually uh, do the trades and, and that sort of thing. We have partnered with some awesome portfolio managers that, uh, that do that. Um, but kind of tying back to the uh, to the content piece, um, you know, I thought that um, you know I kind of knew a lot about marketing, right? And uh, even the first time I started working with Andrew, you know, I'd been doing it for over 10, 10 years or whatever, and then now it's sort of been 
uh, a lot of you know 18 to 20 years in the in the space and always learn something. But what I've found uh, amazing in this business, um, if you're targeting people that have accumulated more wealth, is how long the the cycle can be. And um, Andrew, when he went independent, um, you know, so he he started building a newsletter and sharing his views and and such. And there are people that have walked into the door pre-COVID. Um, now it's you know ended up on a Zoom session, um, but you know they they'd learned about the the company and followed us over a five-year period, right through the newsletters, kind of hearing us on radio. And then where we really turned it up many notches with, was with webinars. And we usually host one probably every three to four months, I, I would say. And, uh, you know, we, you know, one strategy and, you know, for people to keep in mind and, and I'm getting better with it is, you know, you always think you have to produce completely unique content. Um, but we think if you can recycle it and always uh, append it or add to it, uh, tweak it, um, that that works too and works really well. It allows you to uh, produce more more content. And not everyone's going to, you know, watch every piece of content. But but nonetheless, um, you know, you might see a cycle here where um, someone will have learned about us on radio. They hit our website. They signed up for the newsletter. Um, they watched a webinar um, that was recorded. They actually attended a live webinar. Um, and, um, sometimes they, they literally will show up and they're ready to go. Um, and they're said, you know, I've listened to a lot of your stuff, you know, we're totally aligned on investment strategies, philosophies, uh, we connect on that. They may not say it, but you can tell through the discussion, we connect on a worldview level, uh, that creates comfort and, um, you know, it's, it's the foundation is, is great content. Um, so that you can drive people to something that will engage them. And in this business, um, you know, if you have, you know, for some people, whether it's 50,000, but, you know, when you're getting into numbers like 250, 500, a million, million plus, people don't make, you know, they don't see a pay-per-click ad, click on it, go to a website and, and you know, I'm buying, right? It just, it just doesn't happen that way. Maybe someone that's younger and looking to set up a TFSA and, you know, the bank in Nova Scotia saying, we'll give you a hundred bucks if you sign up on a TFSA or, you know, whatever, it's maybe a bit different, right? Um, and so we have to be prepared and think long game, you know, with this business. And um, the foundation is is uh, great content. We have a video and webinar library that is a core lead magnet for us. People hit the site, they can sign up for it. I don't know how many recorded webinars and videos we have up there now on different topics. Um, and so that's a, you know, a key, uh, a key element there. Um, and then we've built up our database now, um, I think over 4,000 people, um, that we can always drip or send an email to about the next webinar or, Hey, we published this piece on, uh, on our website or, um, something. Right. And so that's huge. That forms a great baseline and we continue to build that, you know, every week, every month after every webinar, um, and, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, I, I, I'm curious to get uh, your thoughts on automation on, on what you found with your clients, because I think that that's a, a really big part of, of how we're able to scale and be successful. Well, absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that. Uh, just one quick thing I want to touch on was producing content um, that repurposing is also a great form of uh, content as well. 
uh, too many clients or people think that they have to put out uh, the next uh, shiny, bright-looking uh, piece of content. But really, uh, it's more about consistency and really being out there and spreading your message and your values and trying to connect with people and building relationships and communities. So repurposing content, um, there's three forms. You could either be audio, visual, or written. Um, all forms work. Just really put your values and um, just POV out there and people will find you and connect with you. And uh, I always like to use the analogy, a business analogy, that it takes uh, 10 years to become an overnight success. Um, that's very much so like marketing as well. You need to kind of put in, plant the seeds. And um, once you kind of put in the work and kind of the content and the strategies in place, uh, you start to reap, reap some of your uh, uh, fruits from your labor down down the roads. Um, and like, to your, like, like you said as well, like people that have a large sum of money uh, to invest with a financial advisor aren't going <laughs> to jump into a, a sales call from the first uh, PPC ad they see. So mm-hmm. um, I love that you said that. Mm-hmm. But for automation, um, again, I'm a big proponent of building your list. Um, Google can't change its algorithm on you. Uh, Facebook's alg- algorithm or costs for ads aren't going to increase. Or censor you. Exactly. Mm-hmm the platform you <laughs> nowadays, but uh, uh, owning a list, having your own media is something that's a big strategy for me. Um, it's like, like you mentioned, the 4,000 people you can always uh, reach out to or provide content to or add value to at the end of the day. But um, going back to- Yeah, I agree with you on that add value piece, right? It's not just about putting out content. It's about quality content and you're trying to um, when you talk about add value, I mean, if you are um, an IT manager inside uh, a software company, you know, how do you, you know, how do you add value there? And you have people that are really busy, um, and if if you cannot demonstrate value, quality content, and if you just come across as, hey, I've got content, but it's really a thinly veiled uh, sales pitch, or even a thickly veiled one, I guess um, uh, you've lost them. You may just never ever get a chance, and and um, you know in in our uh, in this business as well, um, you add value in, in different ways. Um, one is thinking about let's just you know thinking about investments. So people generally don't come to us because um, they want a financial plan. They generally will reach out to an advisor. Um, whether it's us or someone else, because something's not working. And that's usually with their investments. They've been with someone and they just haven't got the results. They've been doing it themselves. They haven't got results. Um, They've been sitting on cash and are freaked out and don't know what to do with it. But all they see is their cash devaluing and, you know, getting half percent uh, in a GIC or uh, high interest savings, you know, misnomer there. Um, And so, that's, that's kind of the starting point, but we can add value and where we add value is in around psychology of investing. For example, a lot of people think it's just about the, you know, ones and zeros. Um, uh, money is, it's just a manifestation of um, something else in our mind, like what creates the money? It could be an inheritance. It could represent the sale of a business that you spent 20 years building or 30 years building, right? Um, it could be, um, 
money that you earned after, you know, you were a single mother and, and, you know, raised kids and earned a degree and now you're a successful uh, physician or something, right? And you look at that and it, you create an emotional attachment. Um, but then that creates uh, barriers to successful investment. And so we do talk about the psychology and getting people to really understand that and that can get in the in the way some of it could be how do you deal with a lump sum um, uh, injection of cash that you've received how do you go about in investing that um, how do you go about being financially uh, independent in a, in a macro scale and that's just not about successfully investing your money it's about different kinds of habits those kinds of things so we can you know add add value in a lot of ways um, so that that's good but then being a really small firm, I mean, Integrated Wealth Management is the principal and uh, Andrew. Uh, we have uh, a business manager, Soraya, and then it's myself. Um, now we have a big team behind us, an extended team, because we have portfolio managers that, that are all so independent. We have an arm's length relationship and it's kind of a, we don't directly contract them ourselves, but you know, we bring them to the table to work with our clients. Um, Excuse me. Sorry. Um, but so we need to find ways to be really effective with our marketing and, and add that value consistently. And that's where we've you know, made use of automation uh, and setting up, um, you know, drip campaigns. Right. And, uh, you know, if someone signs up at our video and webinar library, for example, um, it triggers an email right away with a link back to the library. So hopefully they, they save that. Um, but then, you know, over a six to eight week period, we might trip them a notice of, you know, five or six different videos that we have. Um, you might not have seen this or hope you had a chance to, to watch this webinar. We've got this great one on alternative investments, and this is why you might be interested, you know, link to it kind of thing. Um, and eventually in that sequence, I usually, you know, use it pretty late. Um, is offer up a, a complimentary portfolio review, right? So that comes down the road. And so someone might not actually see that offer um, for six to eight weeks after they've engaged with us initially. And it's so gratifying when we've just got this sort of machine turning. Um, and then I just get an email from someone to say, yeah, I, I've been meaning to get back to you. I, I'm interested in a portfolio review and it comes in at 11 o'clock at night. And I put in all the work to create <laughs> that sequence, right? And automate it and put a lot of work to make it sound authentic as well um, and uh, personal and personalize that to, to a certain extent um, so that someone doesn't feel like it's just being triggered by you know, a robot Although anyone that's kind of familiar with these things realizes that there's a certain amount of automation that, that can happen. You know, not everyone's naive to think that I type that thing out just for them. Um, but because it's authentic, I, I think it comes across as, hey, I'm interested to have a conversation. Um, so that's like a core sequence. And, and I think one of the things that, you know, people, when they start entering the space of, of maybe starting to do some automation with their, their marketing is they try and go from zero to 60, right? They want to do, we've done none to, I want to automate like five different streams of communication or whatever. And, and I think getting there is, is great, but it's like, what, what can you take as a first step? 
um, and to uh, dabble in it is the wrong word to take make an initial commitment uh, to it. And that was the core one that uh, we decided to uh, to automate. Um, the other one that I've set up is just after someone attends a webinar, I'm always um, I'll take all the attendees. We use GoToWebinar, works quite well, and I'll upload them into our database. And if they're not already in there, because some people might register and come back again, if they're not already in there, then I will create a sequence for them. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. And um, so that's kind of the second one. And, and that's kind of where I've got it to. Um, you know, I'd love to be doing a lot more, but um, some of it is, I mean, we're resource constrained. Um, the other part is, we just don't like our goal is maybe to add 15 to 20 client families a year. That's, that's the number. So by virtue of that, we, we don't have to go crazy with this stuff. We just have to have consistent efforts, quality content. And, and so I don't feel the need to, to go too far. Now, if I was in a larger organization or I was working like you, maybe with a client that's, um, you know, 30, 40 person firm, um, and they have much higher ambitions around how many clients, they'd like to bring on, then they also have more money to invest in, in making their marketing more sophisticated. So, so that would definitely be, um, you know, a recommendation, a tool that I use um, for automation and kind of a CRM. I, I plug them when I can uh, is close.io. Um, it's just an amazing tool um, as a non-marketer, uh, even um, you can learn to set up these automated sequences yourself very easily. Uh, the tool just helps you stay organized, um, manage your database effectively. It's it's awesome. So that, that gets into sales automation as well. So there's marketing automation, sales automation. They kind of blend together. Uh, I know that's more jargon there, but the way I would look at it is it provides automation from sales through to, to marketing. Um, and uh, like, honestly, I between the work I do is sales and sales and marketing and then client management, um, I feel like the tool allows me to, to basically double. It's like we have an added FTE uh, working our sales and marketing. If you didn't have the automation and, and the things that, that we do in there, um, it's just, um, I, I just, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing without the tool. It just would be impossible. So. Absolutely. And yeah, automation is a core strategy when it comes to email uh, you have to try and scale your operations as much as possible um depending on your uh, objectives of course but uh one thing that i love that you mentioned was that people just don't want to talk to robots all the time that it's key to try and personalize the content and outreach and communications as much as possible so for for my strategies for what we do um we have a six seven day nurture sequence um, obviously, the lead magnet on the front end, but um, usually the introductory uh, email or the intro email um, usually ask them a question like, "What, what's maybe the biggest challenge you're facing, or what's something you'd really love to learn?" And then you kind of kind of get that one-to-one -one interaction at at that point. But then once you kind of have a better understanding of what they're looking for, what pain points they have, you can kind of um, shepherd them into one of your automation sequences there to slowly give them valuable content. Um, so you that. segment them uh, before you drive them into an automated sequence, you're actually trying to identify or get them to identify what would be of most interest. And then you start 
dripping uh, emails in a sort of a certain sequence? Is that is that how you do it? Uh, correct. Yeah. So we have that lead magnet. They opt in, and then we try and have that one to one interaction. Uh, just try and add value again to really give context to our communication. So we're not just um, giving the same thing to everybody. We like to segment our uh, audiences into relevant key uh, segments and then remarket to them with content that makes sense for them and um, things that they'd be interested in. So then we have that automation on the back end there at that point. Yeah, I would love love to get there without a doubt. That's uh, a more effective way um, to do to the extent that you can uh, segment. Um, you know, again, in, in our situation, uh, I feel that um, we're fortunate that I don't need to start driving it that far yet, at least the way things are working right now. Uh, that may change. Um, you know, like anything, um, uh, from a, to be successful in marketing, things change. It can be more competitive. Something that worked yesterday doesn't, doesn't work today, right? Um, uh, or won't work a year from now. And so that's where I'm a big proponent of, of testing. I think there are certain universal truths around marketing and in services. And I think quality content will never go away. And quite frankly, I think uh, COVID has been a validation of an appetite for quality content um, because people have been at home um, and haven't been able to go to the mall or, you know, they can't play beer league hockey or whatever. Um, they've been far more interested in uh, what's going on and uh, with investments and, and uh, far more interested in, in maybe their professional development or, or, you know, whatever business they're in wanting to consume content. And, um, you know, if, if you were just trying to learn that over the last year, um, you know, you, you probably missed out by not having been prepared. I mean, we had crazy attendance at a, a webinar we held in May. Uh, might have been long weekend. Um, I feel like we had, and maybe it was now one, but we had like 700, 750 people attend a webinar. So we attracted a bunch more through our, our promotions, um, but then through our database as well. And, you know, that's, that's a huge number of people to have, you know, online on a, on a webinar. Um, and, you know, I, I think then we have continued success with other ones because people have come in and realized, um, geez, I, I took some good things away there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try the next one. And so that's to me just, you know, a real, a real key part of, of what we do. And then the other part, I think where Andrew, uh, has been very, uh, has, has been able to be successful building a, a small independent wealth management firm is patience. Um, you know, he's committed to different um, mediums to promote the company, in particular radio. Um, and, you know, it took time. Uh, it, it took a lot of time to build up that continued brand presence. And, um, and then now when we look at the success we're having, it's not because we're just have been doing a great job for the last year. Like there was a great foundation laid there. Um, and now, I mean, part of why Andrew wanted to bring someone else in was to really turbocharge the the marketing aspect because, you know, he's got this brand and he wanted to, you know, reach, make it available to more families. We, we really believe we've got a great solution. And, and so we had the platform and now it just needed to be, you know, sort of cranked up uh, several notches. And, and uh, we have a reminder of that, like right now I'm experimenting with some LinkedIn marketing 
um, and using that as a tool for outreach. And, and so, you know, it hasn't gone as well as I'd like initially, um, but I realized that, um, you know, again, it's going to take time to experiment and, um, you know, we're three months in, um, you know, for me to cut it off this quickly would just be total hypocrisy because I've been on your, your end telling people they have to be patient. And, and so, you know, it's true. Like there's a certain point you have to, you know, have your success metrics and decide when, when do we cut this off? When do we decide it's not working? Because you have to be thinking about a return on investment, especially when you're a small firm, you can't afford, afford to burn a lot of cash on things that don't bring results. But you know, we're making a smaller bet and a strategic bet. Um, we're using some software to help actually automate the, the LinkedIn marketing uh, for us. And, um, you know, with this one, I, you know, I see ourselves giving it six to 12 months for sure um, to see if we can make it work because we want to be thinking about not just what's working today, but where's the puck going, right? Um, yeah. And, Obviously, social media, you know, we've been watching that and trying some things. Um, but, you know, with with LinkedIn, I mean, there's huge audience there. Can we make use of it for this business? I, I don't know. I know that some financial advisors have been successful with it. So I want to give it a try. Um, and if you've spent some money and it didn't work out, it's like next. Right. So, um, yeah. So just, you know, that that's a new one for me. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Right. So. Yeah, and I love that you said that, Sandor. Um, really, the industry changes so so much and so quickly, um, rapidly. So I always approach these marketing uh, strategies as a test and assess approach. Um, and like to your point, you got, you got to be patient. <laughs> Just like uh, financial advisors talking to their clients, you're not gonna you're gonna set expectations. Uh, they're not gonna immediately see a huge a million dollar return on on their investment. Yeah two days two days ago so really setting expectations and being patient while you test these strategies and yeah you can assess uh, maybe like six months in seeing where the key kpis metrics are but i always advise to um, give it some time let it breathe um, see what the numbers are saying there's i mean there's so much uh, data out there these days that whenever you run campaigns or do a marketing strategy there's always numbers to you can always analyze and assess so um, give it some time uh, and just commit to your timeframes. Um, just be patient, I like to say. So uh, that's awesome that you say that as well. Well, and that ties back to the data piece, right? And so marketers, you know, I just think are notorious and awful for making decisions subjectively, right? Um, I think this is going to work, so let's do it. And in a larger organization, it's the the old, uh, you know, remember Don wants it, right? Uh, DWI. That that was the directive because the executive said this is what he wants. That's going to work. Everyone scrambles and you know whatever. Um, but um, I know working with uh, sales, uh, the sales group that we built over at RentalWorks, you know, uh, we'd be analyzing what's going on and and they'd say yeah, a lot of people are aren't interested to buy because of price. Okay, you said a lot. Well, how many? Well, I don't know. Well, go back and count. How many conversations have you had and how many has that actually come up in the conversation? Uh, or maybe it's because we don't have this feature, right? And um, you might be familiar with recency bias, right? So they mm -hmm. may have been on five calls over the last week where price came up, but they were on 100 calls 
uh, and they analyzed them all and realized price only came up about 15 times. Um, and there were other reasons that people uh, weren't buying, right? And that whole exercise of forcing yourself to actually look at data um, to inform your decisions is, is so critical because otherwise you're going to have to be patient for a whole lot longer or you're going to cut off uh, initiatives that might actually start working for you um, because you haven't you know, identified the metrics correctly in terms of what, what success looks like um, and haven't um, been able to see that maybe you're actually trending in the right direction um, you know, with, for example, let's say webinar attendance. I mean, we haven't got many leads, but your first one, you had 50, uh, your next one, you had 70, and then all of a sudden you're at 150 attendees and then you kind of keep at it and pretty soon you have 700 people on a webinar um, and we have 30 inquiries uh, after that, right, uh, for follow-up. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's so it's so key on the, on the data side. So with you there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like we're coming up on, on the hour. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Long? Your oh time my gosh. I hope people are still on the, uh, the podcast here. And, you know, it's not just you and I talking and, and whatnot. So, although not that has sure been that... fun. So it's been fun. So that, that's fine. Copious amounts of fun. And I'm sure the listeners are having a great, uh, great time listening <laughs> and getting some hopefully value from, from what we're uh, our conversations. But uh, yeah, no, it's been super fun talking to you, Sandor. Um, one thing I like to end the podcast on is maybe a key tactical tip or maybe even uh, a quote, maybe a story, uh, anything that you think would resonate with the listeners as we kind of end the interview. You're supposed to let me know about this question before <laughs> so I could think about it. Um, here's a great, this is a good, I think this is uh, one of my favorite messages when I'm in a room and people are, are debating about a tactic and digital marketers are awful and, and they were awful. They were saying you should dump your traditional marketing budget because it's all digital. Everyone's going online. Um, when I was at pump, we had a client glass uh, masters. So auto glass uh, repair. And uh, we ended up being approached by the owner, uh, Miles, I think Prodan, a super guy, just an awesome guy. And um uh, he said, I, I need a new website and, uh, and I also need some online marketing support because, um, I built my business on yellow pages and I think he started in like the late nineties and it was like, it was, it was easy, right? You were in there, you bought the biggest yellow page ad, people found it, um, and, uh, they called, right. And that was a dwindling. So we're talking now probably about 2010 ish, I think. And uh, so, you know, he comes in and, and uh, I remember one of the one of the team there saying, why are you doing any yellow page advertising? That's just stupid. Right. And he said, well, you're right for the most part. But he, he had a location in Edmonton, Red Deer, Calgary or locations. And he said, what I do is I actually have a unique number for each location and I track what's going on. And uh, he said, Calgary, yellow pages sucks. Like, it's just too expensive. I get no return. Same thing in Edmonton. But in Red Deer, it's super effective for me. It's, it just creates so much business. And so I like telling that story because it talks about assumptions, 
is a story about assumptions and we make assumptions about what works and what doesn't. And we do that in everything, whether it's marketing and sales, whether it's a feature for your software product, uh, whether it's, you know, what's the best time to, you know, do telemarketing or who knows what, right? Um, but if Miles didn't have the data and he walked in talking to the digital slash marketing experts, they would have said slash your red deer budget and his phone would have stopped ringing. Yeah. Right. So the, you know, thing I, you know, so the key message is just don't make assumptions because you might really, really hurt yourself. And the, the problem is you, you won't even know it. So. I love that. Don't make assumptions. That's a great way to end it. Thanks so much, Sandor. It's been a okay. pleasure. Thanks. To you. Awesome. For sure. Thanks for having me. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Take care. Have a great day.